about 10 years ago, my wife, Grace, and I went to see a movie, a little dinner date to go see a movie, and we had uh, had people watch our children, and we got away. We did that far less than we really should, and we got off to go see a movie, and we had no idea what was out. We don't watch commercials and previews, and so we were on our way to go see it, and, and, and Grace pulled up on her phone the movies that were out at the theater that we were going to, so when I lived in Ohio still, and we're going to it, and she's going through, and she's reading off the names, which we know nothing about any of them, and she reads off this one and this one. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Then she reads one. It's Apollo 18. And I said, I don't know. But I saw Apollo 13, and I liked it. It's about astronauts and their trip to the moon and the historical event, the, the trouble they had getting home, this whole thing. I was like, I liked Apollo 13, so sure, let's go watch Apollo 18. And we got there, bought our tickets, and we went in, and we sat down, and the previews played, the lights went down, and the, the movie came on, and it began to play this, this show, and they took this trip to the moon. This is a spoiler. It's an old movie, though. They took this trip to the moon, and they get there, and it quickly became evident that Apollo 13 was, in my opinion, this enjoyable, historical kind of reenactment, this, this thing, this astronaut movie. Apollo 18, though, is not like that. Apollo 18 is a science fiction horror movie about alien space rocks that are spiders that take over bodies and kill you. I am deathly afraid of spiders, just so you know. And we're sitting here as this movie begins to play, and I, I am pulling my feet farther off the floor as the movie goes on because, you know, in a movie theater, when the lights go down, you can't see your feet anymore, and so it's dark down there, and I'm pulling my feet up because, dude, there are spiders everywhere. And I was freaking out. I look at her and say, what are we doing here? And she says, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know what this was. And we sat there and we watched this entire thing. And I was just nervous the entire time. And we left. And I said, we will never go to a movie without reading about it first again. Because sometimes you go into something and it's a movie, it's a relationship, it's a job, it's an interaction, it's something. And you get into it and you expect one thing and you get something else completely different. You've experienced that before? You've experienced going into something, maybe it's a silly movie, maybe it's something far more important in life, something with far more value you get into, and you enter it and you realize the thing I was expecting, the thing I was looking for is not this. And it can be awkward, it can be difficult, it can be painful, it can be scary, and it's hard to get out of sometimes. 2,000 or so years ago, God sent his son from heaven to earth to die on a cross for us, to live, uh, to be buried and to come out of the grave victorious over death so we could live with him in eternity forever. However, when the baby was born, the people that lived around where the baby was born, they didn't know what they were looking for. They had a wrong idea of what the Messiah was going to be. They didn't know what they were expecting and so they missed it. They had that experience where they were looking for one thing, but they got another, and it was awkward, and it was difficult, it was jarring to them. The people that were living there, they had lived their entire lives waiting for the Messiah. They lived their entire lives hearing about the Messiah. They lived their entire lives reading scriptures and memorizing scriptures and learning things like this. In Isaiah chapter 9, it'll be on the screens too behind me, Isaiah chapter 9, where it's written, so long before that, for to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. They'd grown up expecting this looking for this this sounds like a powerful event is to come this incredible thing that is to happen they're looking for a prince to come riding in at the head of an army and to take over and to lead the government to reestablish everything to fix all the wrongs they were living under oppression from the roman empire and this messiah was going to set it all right a wonderful counselor a mighty god an everlasting father a prince of peace who would reign on David's throne, the second king of their nation, the one that they had celebrated still to that day. He would reign on David's throne forever. They were looking for a king like they thought of kings. They were looking for a king to show up in majesty and might and power. And they missed it. They were looking for the wrong thing. We do the same thing, right? We look for the wrong thing. Maybe you have been looking for God, and you have been looking for the wrong thing, and you realize it, or you maybe are about to realize it, or you know in culture you hear people say things, and you're like, no, that's not really who God is. That's not who the Messiah is. Here's some wrong pictures. These are wrong ideas of who God is that maybe you've heard or maybe you've felt before. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can hear and we can begin to believe it because it sounds great when somebody says, you know, God is the, he's the same for all religions and for all beliefs. He's the same. We all just worship him in different ways. Well, that's not who God is at all. God is not to be worshipped as an idol or as a one of many gods. He's, he's not that at all. That's not who God is at all. God is the same. He never changes. And His Word is true. And He's very clear about that. But we have that wrong idea in our culture. Maybe you have this wrong idea that God is like a cosmic police officer. Maybe you've thought that before. You know that God loves you and he wants to forgive you, but you can't help shake the idea, you can't quite shake it, that maybe somewhere God is sitting there in his heavenly police car just around the bend on the highway, behind the bushes, waiting to give you a ticket and to punish you for something you've done wrong. Maybe you feel that way about God. It's a wrong picture. Or maybe you go to the other extreme. He's not a cosmic police officer waiting to punish you with glee. Instead of that, he's actually more like your non-judgmental buddy that just wants to hang out and have a good time and play games and, and whatever you want to do is fine. I'll forgive you one more time for it. And we know that God has grace for us, but that's not really how it works. God has called us to a standard of holiness. God has called us to be more like him instead of him hanging out with us and reveling in our sin. That's not how it is. Or maybe this wrong idea. That God is like a, just a, kind of like a big heavenly teddy bear that we pull out of the box whenever we feel hurt and sad and have grief and pain. 
We pull him out and we just cuddle with him and he makes us feel better in that moment. And he makes us just, just feel warm and fuzzy. And then when we feel a little bit better and we think we can manage on our own again, we put him back in the box and we go on our way. But that's not who God is. He doesn't come out just to cuddle the pain away. He's the healer who wants to fix it at the heart level and the root of the problem. Or maybe we get the wrong idea and we think that God is just like this massive vending machine in heaven just doling out all of our needs or more real, our wants. And we pray, God, I, I, really, I really want this. And so God, can you just give me this one more thing? Can you give me that one more thing? God, I just, life would be easier if I had a little more money or a little more of this or a better car or a better house. God, please. And we just had this wrong idea of God. That's not who God is. God's not a vending machine giving us the things we want. He's not, a, he's not an eternal claw machine where we have to do the joystick and get the right thing out of it. God's a provider and a sustainer. But he's not just giving out all of our wants and desires because he wants us to desire him above all else. Maybe you get the idea that and you've said this before that God is my personal Lord and Savior and you emphasize personal over Lord and Savior. He is your Lord and Savior. He is mine as well. He is all the world but the fact is that God didn't come just to save you personally. He came to save the whole world. He came to be a kingdom Lord and Savior. He came to be a church Lord and and Savior. He came to rescue all. God sold the entire world. He sent his son, not just you. You're a part of what he came to rescue. The danger, if we emphasize personal too much, is that we begin to try to remake God into our image instead of allowing God to remake us into his image because we're part of a community. We want to thrive in a family that's looking more and more and more and more like God. See, we can look for the wrong thing. And we have a choice. If we're going to look for God, and I want to encourage you in this message to look for God, in the year 2021, I believe God is going to lead you and speak to you, reveal himself to you. I believe he's going to because he always wants to lead you and speak to you and reveal himself. So I believe it will happen in the year 2021. And I want to encourage you to look for the Messiah that we find in Scripture right here. Don't try to remake it, take the parts you like, and discard the parts you don't, but look and take the parts of the Messiah that are all over Scripture, and you look for the God of Scripture, because Scripture is more true than any experience you'll ever have. It's more true than anything you see in your culture. This morning, what I want to do is read in Matthew chapter 2 with you, and I want to finish out this Christmas birth narrative we've been following the entire month, and I want to encourage you with two specific parts of who the Messiah is and what he wants so you can look and find what you're looking for. Let's pray first. Father God, I ask that you would speak to us out of your word. I ask that you would lift these words out of Matthew chapter 2 and you would encourage us. I pray that if there is sin in our life, you would convict us. Father, we didn't just come to gather with you just to be told what we wanted to hear. We came to hear what you want us to know. So I pray you would encourage and convict and challenge us, and then you would send us out of here. Father, ready to lead a broken world back to your healing light. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If 
you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one today. We have these blue Bibles right here. If you're online, send us a message right now. If you're in the room, grab one on the way out. We want to have the Word of God in your hands as well so you can read the entire Christmas narrative today even as you go. In Matthew 2, we're going to pick up right where we kind of left off last week. We've, so far this month, we've talked about how the angels showed up to Joseph and to Mary and how they were sent to Bethlehem on this journey and they got there and and the baby Jesus was born, not in a a room for visitors, but in a stable in a cave and laid in a manger. And then the shepherds came and worshipped. And in Matthew chapter 2, it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea. This is a little while later. After that, during the time of King Herod, now King Herod was propped up by the Roman Empire to lead over the area and to rule over things. King Herod was ruling there. The Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi came from a long ways away. They had traveled to get here. They had seen this star. They had read these, these prophecies and they'd discovered the Messiah had been born. They came to see and they were fixated on the goal and they focused on the goal and they came to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and they asked King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Where is he? Now this is dangerous territory. They're going to the king and saying, where is the new king? Where is the the, the real king of the Jews, where has he been born? Well, King Herod's not going to like this news, not one little bit. And they come and say, where is he? We've come to worship him. The Magi have traveled so far. They had no, no reason to want to come see the Messiah other than they had found some hope in something they discovered. They traveled so far to get there. Verse 3 says, when King Herod heard this, He was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed because he saw a threat to his power, to his control, to his kingdom that he had built right there. Jerusalem was disturbed because King Herod was disturbed, and they uh, were disturbed with him. When Herod called together all the people's chief priests and all the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He just called them in and said, Hey, you're Jews. Where is the king of the Jews to be born? Where is the Messiah to be born? And they replied, In Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So King Herod, sitting here on his throne, he is disturbed as the Magi have come from so far off, focused on the goal. He's come to the the king now. The king is disturbed. It's the only thing he can think of. He calls in the Jewish scholars. And they come, and he says, where's to be born? And they said, well, in Bethlehem, which, by the way, is right over there. It's not that far away. In Bethlehem is where he's going to be born. I would like to think, I would like to think that if I were a part of that group, and I knew, because they they didn't say, let's go study, and we'll let you know. They knew in Bethlehem. I would like to think if I were part of the group that, I had been living my entire life waiting and longing for the Messiah. Hoping for the Messiah. Praying for the Messiah. Reading the Messiah. Studying about the Messiah. I would love to think that I would be on the look. I'd be looking for the Messiah. Searching, focused on the goal. But for these chief priests and teachers of the law, it had been so long. Hadn't it? It had been so long. So many centuries had gone by. So much time had gone by. It had been so long that they 
had kind of gotten complacent. They had kind of given up. Yeah, Herod, the baby will be born over there in that town, but we haven't looked in a long time. It just, it got old. We got tired. We kind of gave up. They had lost their focus on where the Messiah was to be born. So then Herod, the king, called the Magi secretly in verse 7. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He wanted to know all the details, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Now go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Just a little spoiler, he's lying. He does not want to go worship the child. He wants to destroy the new king to protect himself. So he says, Hey, let me know. Let me know what you find. Go and search carefully. So the Magi, who have been laser-focused on finding the baby, they've been traveling to find the Messiah. Now the king, who is full of rage and anger and fear, he is laser-focused on finding the Messiah. But the people of God are saying, that's over there. I haven't looked in a long time. They had forgotten what they were looking for. They had grown complacent in it. The next verse tells us after the Magi had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed because they knew that their journey was about to come to an end. Their journey was about to come to a close. They were about to find the thing they had been looking for for so long. On coming to the house now, they saw the child with his mother Mary. The place where the family was living, they came there, they saw him, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. These magi that had been so focused from all the way on their long journey away had come here, and now they had found the Messiah, the one they were looking for. And so they bowed down, and they opened up these incredibly expensive gifts, and they began to pour them out at the feet of this young king. And worship, this is what we have for you. Verse 15 says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Because God was working to protect his child. Now when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. As I read this little verse right here, when the angel shows up to Joseph and says, all right, get up, take the child, take his mother, and escape to Egypt because Herod's going to try to kill him, I have to wonder now. I have to wonder because Joseph and Mary have been through so much so far. They were young. They were excited about getting married. They've been looking forward to the life that they were about to have. They were excited about it. An angel shows up and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she has to come to terms with it and trust, and she does. And she goes up to Joseph and says, Joseph, your fiance is going to have a baby. It's not yours. People are going to look at you sideways. They're going to judge you, but just trust me. And Joseph does. He trusts. And then he traveled to Bethlehem, and Mary's pregnant. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult all the way there. They're traveling along and they're just trusting. And they get to Bethlehem, and all the rooms have been filled up with their family. And so they're relegated to go out to the cave, the stable where the animals live. And Mary gives birth out there and lays the baby in a manger, and they trust. And it's difficult. 
and it's hard. And then that night, the shepherds come flooding in and they worship the baby. They, they worship at the child's feet. And it says Mary set off and she stored these things up in her heart and she pondered them and she held them and, and she had these mental pictures to remember the beauty of this night. And then some time goes by and the magi show up. And they kneel at the child's feet and they open up these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and they hand these things over and they worship. And as Mary lays down that night, I have to wonder if she's not thinking, okay, we're finally getting somewhere. This is finally making sense. I'm finally starting to get it. We're starting to get a rhythm as we're raising now the Messiah and it's, it's starting to make sense to us. And then an angel comes that night and gives Joseph this message here and says, get up, go to Egypt. Because the king's going to try to kill Jesus, so go to Egypt. And I have to wonder if they didn't, as they were getting up that night, if they didn't look at each other and say, is it ever going to end? I have to wonder how disappointed they might have felt. We have to go again? Now we have to go to Egypt, this place where we've heard the stories about how our people were slaves in Egypt and they were rescued out of Egypt and they've come back to the promised land now, to, to Canaan, this Israel, they're living here and now we have to go back there, and it's the middle of the night, and I'm tired, and it's been a long day. There has to be some disappointment, because that's a human feeling. They feel that way. But Joseph, in verse 14, says he got up. He took the child, his mother. During the night, they left for Egypt. They packed up everything they had. They loaded it up, and they headed out in the middle of the night to make the long journey down to Egypt where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. I have to believe there was disappointment. And there was frustration. Because you can trust God and you can follow God, but you still have the feeling of disappointment a little bit. Because it's possible to have hope and disappointment at the same time. You see, Joseph and Mary knew what I'm learning and what you're learning, and they knew that your disappointments do not mean that God is done with you. Your disappointments don't mean that God is done with you. Your disappointments don't mean that God is through working in your life. In fact, all through Scripture, people have been disappointed and God has worked through them. We have the man Joseph, who when he was a boy, back in the Old Testament, he was a boy. He was the 11th of these 12 boys, these 12 sons, and he had this vision the vision of everybody bowing down, his brothers bowing down before him, and he made the mistake of going to his brothers and saying, guess what I heard last night, guys? And he told them this dream, and he's excited because God is speaking to me. And the next thing you know, he's been sold by his brothers into slavery, and he's been carted off to Egypt. And then, as a slave, he was falsely accused, and he was thrown in jail in Egypt. And There had to be some disappointment in there, but Joseph's faithful through the disappointment. And God wasn't done with them just because he was disappointed and eventually God fulfilled his promise to Joseph and he was released out of jail and he, he became the one God used to lead his people to safety. Uh, others in the Old Testament, Noah. Noah. 
God spoke to Noah, and God said, all right, Noah, I'm going to send rains and floods on the earth, so go and build an ark. And Noah said, oh, I don't know what that is, but give me the directions. So God laid them all out, and he began to build this ark, and he worked on it for a long time. And people, I believe, were mocking him because, well, Noah, what are you doing? That's weird, man. What are you doing? And he built this ark, and then God said, go into the ark. So Noah walks into the ark, and God closed the ark up, and then the rain came, and the ark floated and there was an excitement, I think, for Noah and for his family. There was probably sadness because people that they knew outside, their neighbors weren't making it. They were dying in the flood, but there was an excitement. God's really using us. He's really doing this thing. And the rains came for 40 days and for 40 nights. And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the ark was still floating. And the ark kept floating, and it kept floating. And it kept floating, and they sent a, a bird out to go see if there was dry land. It came back empty. There had to be disappointment. But eventually the ark landed on dry ground, and God sent a rainbow. Because just because you're disappointed doesn't mean God is done with you. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it, the prophet writes, front of the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope in a future to prosper you, not to harm you. He writes all these things out. And I can remember the first time I recall hearing that. I was an 18-year-old boy. I was sitting in the hospital floor in a hallway, and I would had a car wreck, and my sister was hurt. And I heard this as my student, Mr. Ethmister, shared the words, and I was filled with hope. And I was like, this is great. This is great. But what I've learned since then is that when God delivered that hope, that excitement, he also said, in 70 years, I'll come back for you. In 70 years, I want it right now. I want to have hope. I want to have a change. I want it to prosper right now. But God said, I'll do it in 70 years. But, but the people that heard that, they were living in exile, and they wanted fixed right now. But God said, I'll do it in 70 years. There's disappointments. But just because you're disappointed does not mean God is through with you. His promise has never changed. His plans have never gone away. This past year, the year 2020, has been full of disappointments for you. I know it has. It's been full of disappointments for all of us. We've all faced changes in our rhythms. We've all faced changes in our jobs. We've all faced changes in our families. And some of us have experienced sickness in ourselves or in loved ones and deaths and losses and pain and problems. There's been disappointments. And it would be easy to say, it would be so easy to say, it's just taking too long. It's just taking too long. So we just quit looking for Jesus. But the Magi came from so far away, they were fixed on the goal, focused on the goal, and they came through hardship and pain to get there. I want to encourage you that even if you're disappointed at the year, end of the year 2020, I want to encourage you to not give up looking for Jesus because he is not done with you. Back to the text. We read that when Herod, when Herod learned, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He was furious. I think furious is an understatement, in fact, based on what happens next. He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. 
kill all the boys two years old and under in this town and everywhere around it in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod reacted vindictively and violently to these things. Herod acted in a way that caused the entire region to share in grief together. It wasn't just one family that was full of grief or one person or one house or one town. It was the whole area and there was this shared grief that happened everywhere. And those kind of shared grief moments create a powerful narrative in our culture. We're experiencing them right now. We're experiencing them right now. We all have our stories of the experience that we're going through. We all have stories of a bad experience. The coronavirus, isolation, loneliness, job loss, financial struggles, deaths of loved ones. When we begin to share those with each other, and I share mine with you, and you share yours with her, and she shares hers with him, and we begin to share them around the place, we begin to get this shared grief moment that becomes overwhelming. And Satan wants to use that to say, look, your experience has been so bad. Been so bad that there is absolutely no way anybody, not even Jesus, can fix it. And we begin to get this idea that it's all over and it's all hopeless. But just like right here in Matthew chapter 2, and just like today, your bad experiences are not beyond Jesus. Your bad experiences are not beyond what Jesus can and will do in your life. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, if we were to keep reading this, you would see that in Matthew chapter 2, when Herod died, when Herod died, an angel came to Joseph and said, get ready to go back home again. And they packed up their family and they headed home in this triumphant kind of thing. But then they heard that Herod's brother was reigning in Jerusalem and they were afraid to go back there. And so instead they moved to a little town in Galilee called Nazareth because we knew that Jesus was going to be a Nazarene. And right there in the middle of one of the most terrible experiences the Jewish people had ever lived through, God was working good things together. And he was advancing his plan of the Messiah that he'd sent from heaven to earth to rescue everybody through the sacrifice on the cross, the burial in the tomb, and the resurrection with victory over death. Your bad experience is not beyond Jesus. No matter what you feel like you've been experiencing. No matter what your neighbor's been telling you about or your spouse or your kids or your coworker or your whoever's been telling you about. The Jesus that was wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, everlasting father mighty god he is still all those things the jesus that was there in the beginning of creation he is still there for you when the clock strikes midnight and we hit january 1st 2021 the pandemic's not going to be gone and the things that hurt today might not be gone and the things that cause cause you heartache today might not be gone and the problems and the difficulties might not be gone but i can also promise you that jesus will not be gone 
Jesus will not be gone, and the truth of Scripture is more powerful than any experience you've been living. He will not be gone either. And so I want to encourage you as you begin to prepare to turn the page from one year to the next, and you're looking ahead, and you're thinking about what am I going to do tonight and tomorrow and next year? What's my life going to look like? Is it going to be better or worse or the same? What's it going to be? I want you to know that I believe that 2021 is a year that God's going to reveal himself to you. He's going to guide you, show grace to you, and I believe it's the year revival can break out. And I want to encourage you, like the Magi, to keep focused on the place where you find Jesus, no matter how long it takes. Don't be like the people in and around Bethlehem that had gotten tired of looking you stay focused no matter how long it takes because no matter what your bad experience has been jesus is bigger and no matter what your disappointment has been god's not done with you i want you to look for the jesus you find in scripture the jesus that wants to mold you into his image the jesus that wants to call you to a higher level of the way you speak and the way you think, the way you interact with people, the way you forgive, the way you love. I want you to search for that Jesus. And I want you to find him. So don't give up. Stay focused. Let's continue the journey. This morning, if you've never followed Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. Here at this church, we baptize in water. We're lowered into water, and our, for, our sins are forgiven. Our past is forgiven. We're raised up full of the Holy Spirit as we surrender everything to the Jesus that wants to make us into his image. And walk out of that water knowing that God has a promise, and that promise will never change, no matter what comes along the way. If you've already been following Jesus, then today I want to challenge you to continue the journey, to stay true to the journey, to keep looking for Jesus, not the Jesus that you want to make into your own image, but the Jesus you find in Scripture, you look for him, and you know that no matter what has or what will happen, he is not done with you. He has a plan, he has a promise, and it might take 70 years, but it will never fail. Because no word from God ever fails. Let me pray for you. Father, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these in this room. I thank you for everybody that's online, that's following along, that's worshiping, wherever they're at. I pray, Father, that right now you are, you are creating a shared experience of surrendering to you that will overcome any shared grief experience we've been living in. I pray, Father, that you are creating in us a new spirit and a new heart that is in surrender to you and that is willing and that is able and that is excited and that is prepared to follow you no matter what disappointments come along the way, no matter what bad experiences come along the way. But, Father, we follow you every day of the rest of our life, and I pray that when we look for you, we look for the you we find in Scripture and we find what we're looking for I pray, God, you would continue to transform us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand together as we respond to Jesus together today.